Psalm 32. So the theme this evening, as we've studied these, all of these songs, these songs of David, we're, remember, we're corresponding to the time in David's life that he's going through. We just came through a really difficult season for David, and that was his sin with Bathsheba. And God dealt with him. And really, Psalm 32 is a song of repentance. If you Remember, and if you've studied Psalm 51, Psalm 51 is the prayer that David cries out when he is ready to repent, when he confesses. He makes his confession in Psalm 51. And what we see on Psalm 32 is we see somebody on the other side of true repentance. And this is the song he lifts up. This is the melody he makes when he has confessed his sin when he's forsaken his sin, when he's found forgiveness, and we see the heart of true repentance in this song that David sings. And so this is Psalm 32. Let's begin in verse number one. The Bible says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. He says, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned unto the drought of summer. And then that word, what is it? Selah. Selah. Meditate on this. You'll see he does this again a couple of times in this psalm. You read in verse number five, the same thing. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. And again, he says, Selah. Stop and ponder and just, just grasp everything that's been said so far. Let's pray. We'll ask the Lord to help us tonight. Lord, I thank you that we have this time. I thank you, Lord, that we are able to study the Bible together. I pray that each of our hearts would be open, that we would consider what you have for us. I pray that you'd help us to be encouraged by our study. Help us to get just a, a full glimpse of, of you and of the relationship that you desire to have with us. I ask for your help. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So again, Psalm 51 is David's song of confession. Psalm 32 is now a man who's walking in forgiveness. He's been cleansed. I want to give you just a few points. If you'd like to take notes, I'd encourage you to jot these things down. The first thing that we're going to notice in the first couple of verses is the restoration of joy. The restoration of David's joy. His joy is back. And I see that. In verse number one, could you tell me, and I see it again in verse number two, what is the indication that David's joy is back? What's he say? He says, blessed. He says, blessed. And at the heart, at the root of that word blessed is the idea of happiness, of contentment, of satisfaction, of fulfillment. David says, and I just hear him shouting this out. I, I don't know how loud he say it, but I how loud he said it. But I imagine David in these first couple of verses, he's not just like this isn't this isn't theory for David, right? This isn't this isn't notes for a class. This isn't theological truth. This is something that David has experienced internally, and he just says, "My, it is so good to have your sin forgiven. It is so good." To be forgiven. Are you thankful for the forgiveness of God tonight? You know, 
Jesus said, Jesus gave a parable about the person who's forgiven a little and is just thankful a little bit, but the person who's forgiven much is, so, is thankful of so much. That's who we ought to be. We ought to be people that just say, wow, I am just so happy. I am just so overwhelmed with joy. My life is so full, not because of all the stuff I have in my life or the circumstances in my life, but I've just got to tell you tonight, my sins, though they're many, his mercy is more. And I am forgiven. And I am just happy about that. It would be a shame if Christian people are, the, are unhappy people, are dissatisfied, and walk around with that, that spirit of just unsatisfaction. Why? Because David said it is a happy thing to know that you're forgiven, to know that the penalty is paid, to know that the joy has been restored. We're coming right back here, but if you've got your mark in Psalm 51, I want you to notice verse number 12. This is David in the midst of his agony, in the midst of his prayer, where he pours out his soul. In fact, let's, let's set the context a little bit. In Psalm 51, back up to verse number one, David cries out, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgression. You notice here, David is on the before side of forgiveness. He's in a position, he's repented, but he's on, he's on this side of repentance. And he's asking God for his mercy. And there's, we could read verse 2, wash me throughly from mine iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. Verse 3, I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is ever before me. Against thee, the only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, and that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth. God, you want truth in the inward parts. In the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Do you see that in verse number eight? What's he asking for? He's saying, God, just bring some happiness back into my life. And David was, was gripped with his sin. There was no happiness. As long as he had that unconfessed sin in his life, as long as that was hidden, as long as that was covered up, there's no joy, there's no gladness, there's no happiness. And in his prayer of confession, he says, I want the joy back. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice, hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me, Verse number 12, if you're there, would you read it out loud with me together? Begin, restore unto me the, the what? The joy. He says, God, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. He's asking God, he says, God, I'm confessing and I'm asking for the joy to be returned. And notice back in Psalm 32, it's the first thing he says. He says, it's so, it's such a blessing. It's such a blessing to know that I'm forgiven. It's such a blessing to know that my sins have been covered. It's such a blessing to know that there is no sin that the Lord will impute against me. What does the word impute mean? Does anybody know what imputation is or what the point of that is? You could also say, what's that? Something to put upon? Yeah, the idea here is that, that God will not count his sin against him. 
That, that, that sin will not be on the record of account. That sin is not placed on David's account. It's been, the record has been expunged. In the court of God's justice and law, it's as if this never happened. That's justification. Or in the New Testament, the idea of imputed righteousness, that even though Jesus committed no sin, all of our sin was counted against him. And all of his righteousness was counted to us. Imputation is the theological word. So he says in verse 2, not only am I happy to know that, he says in verse 2, not only am I happy and blessed because I, my joy is back because God is not going to count that sin against me, but he says more. There's more to it than just the legal judicial aspect of it. What else, what else uh, is he happy about in verse number 2? What's the idea here that in whose spirit there is no guile? Or what's the difference? Or what is the, what is the significance of each point here? On the one hand, he said, it's a blessing to know I'm forgiven. It's a blessing to know that the sin isn't counted against me. But it's a blessing to know that to have a spirit where there is no guile. What's the, what's the significance of this? Any thoughts on that? The significance of that statement? Anybody out there? I'm just going to wait it out, see if I'll just go to it. Any thoughts on what that means? I'll take one more slow sip of coffee to see if anybody wants to, to join in the conversation tonight. What's that, Mom? Huh? Okay, so I guess, that, I guess that, that's a good point. We should have the idea, we should understand the idea of guile. You know, that's the idea that there's, there's a, a sin within me, right? That my deceitfulness thoughtfulness is just running running wild in my in my heart sneakiness right yeah 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 well you don't have to hide anything there's a freedom that's to be found in that I think there's also significance here that Think about the idea, on the one hand, it's, a, it's how God views him, right? How God views him now is, well, he knows he's forgiven, and God views him not as a sinner, but God does more than that. And I think this applies to us, because he's not just looking at his judicial standing, he's looking at the actual condition of his heart now, in his spirit. So you get, you get the, the point there? It's that it's it's not just that there are a lot of people that think, okay, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna pray the sinner's prayer so that I, you know, don't have to go to hell. I want all my sins to be forgiven. But David's experienced true repentance. It's not just about that, whoo, I'm so happy that I don't have to suffer the consequences of my sin. What he's actually saying is here, I am just happy that I am clean on the inside. That I'm not just I'm not just, I, I don't just have a get out of jail free card in my hand. What I have is a transformed spirit. My spirit's been transformed. And that's significant. We don't just, as believers, we don't just come to Christ to say, well, okay, you know, thank you. If, I, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. We're not, no, there's also the cleansing from all unrighteousness. There's the idea that 
that I am now, I'm not perfect, but there's a new holiness inside of me. And there's a blessing in being cleansed from the sin. Not just forgiven and and justified, but sanctified. You gonna say something? Right. Yeah. So he's got his heart right. Instead of having his heart right and being under the consequence of God, then the consequence Yeah, there'll be a lot of fallout still from what Dave from his actions. There'll be human consequences. His his standing before God has been made right, but now God has cleansed his heart and he can go forward with a clean conscience and he can live with holiness within. It's also interesting that no matter what you've done. No matter what David's done, his heart is clean, right? I mean, just think about that for a minute. Because how would you label David from this point on? I mean, as from a human standpoint, what does David look like? I mean, a cheater, a liar, a killer. Yeah, he's all of these things. But David knows that before God, he's been cleansed. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, no, I understand what you're saying. So, yeah, there's that. We, we, I'm just, my only point was that we, we're, in human terms, it'd be easy to find, to define David by the, the sin that he committed. And of course, there'll be consequences for it. But before God, he says, I'm just so happy. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm so happy because I'm forgiven. I'm, I am, there's no sin that's going to be counted against me at judgment day. None of that. I won't have to answer for any of that at judgment day. And I know that I am honest before God in my heart. It's amazing, isn't it? Even as a believer, you can, you, you, there are sins that you can commit. If you will confess and forsake with a true heart of repentance, you will not give account for those at Judgment Day. So why do we not confess? Why do we not repent? God offers a clean slate at any point in time. So, the first thing we see here is the joy is back, the restoration of joy. And part of that is because now he's going to give, he's going to start sharing a little bit of his, of what he went through to, to kind of give us warning. It, it, like the, the point here should never be, oh, okay, if I want to go play in sin, I'll go play in sin, I'll lose the joy and then I'll get it back. You know, that's not the point because he's about to tell us just how awful it was. If it, David were here, he'd say, don't go that way. You just stay where you're at. Stay in the joy. And so the second thing here is we saw the restoration of joy, but secondly, the sufferings of his secrecy, the sufferings of secrecy. 
So in guile, we had that idea of, of deceitfulness. But now in verse number three, he talks about this. He, he expounds on it and he says, when I kept silent, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. He's talking about how much he suffered in the time when he was, uh, when he was living a lie. Interesting here, he says in verse number three, my bones grew old. If you notice in 51, Psalm 51, verse number eight, make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. He says a similar statement. What do you, what do you, what are your thoughts on this? Where, you know, he's talking about how much he suffered as he stayed hidden in his sin. And he says, my bones waxed old. It's obviously it's poetic, but what do you think he's talking about here? I think David's heart is, as he, he remembers, boy, when I was living in secret, when I lived, when I kept all this hidden, I didn't say anything. I didn't confess. It was like my bones were growing old. What's that? Yeah, has your spiritual condition ever affected you physically? The stress, right? I think when he says my bones waxed old, I think that he's not just using it figuratively. I think he literally means that he was, he was in physical suffering. That the, the psychological weight of, and we know that our psychological condition often affects our, um, our physical condition, and your spiritual condition can affect your psychological condition, which will then affect your physical condition. We are body, mind, and soul, right? We are all of these, all of these things. So David says, I, I, I just, it was terrible. It was agony. It was torture. He said, I just wanted to get... He said, but I'm so happy now. But back then, man, when I lived that lie, it was just, it consumed me. Consumed me. Really, the point of this is, listen, there are, there are believers that they have hidden sin in their life. And you, are, you could be suffering. You are feeling the weight of it. There is joy on the other side of repentance. There is relief on the other side. Let it go. Give it to God. Confess it to others if you need to. Whatever needs to happen to make it right, David made it right and there's joy on the other side. Whatever consequences that David had to endure, they were far, they were, they were, they were worth it for the joy that he received. Because what was the alternative? The alternative was all of the inner suffering and turmoil and the consequences on top of it, right? But he comes to the Lord and he said, so he said, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. Day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. He, he says here, my moisture, the, the, the vibrancy of my life turned into the drought of summer. And that's really what happened, right? Because he, up until, up until that moment of his sin, he was just, Things were going so well for him. You describe his life as vibrant and productive and joyful. And then as long as he kept that secret, boy, it all dried up in his life. So 
he starts with the restoration of his joy, and he says, but I went through a time of suffering because of the secrecy that I, because of all the pretending that I did. And now we come to verse number five, the third theme here, and that is the release that comes from confessing. So he says in number five, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I said, this reminds me of the the prodigal son where it says he came to himself. And David had a come to himself moment. And I said, I'm going to confess. He made the decision to confess. And this, the people, they, they waffle back and forth at that terrible moment where the Holy Spirit is saying, come home, come home, confess, make it right, come clean. And David says, you know what? I'm ready. I'm going to do it. He makes the decision to confess. And look at this. He said, I will, I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave it all. And thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. Stop and think about that for a minute, he says. Notice he had a Selah after four verses. And now just after this one verse, verse number five, he says it again. He says, I, I said I will confess. I confessed and you forgave. What obligation does God have to forgive us? What obligation does God have to forgive us? He's given. He has. Listen to this. God has obliged himself to us. Because the, the, I, I figured the first reaction to that would be, oh, you want me to say God is under no obligation. And he would be. What obligation should God be under to forgive us? None. God should be under no obligation to forgive us. But but our creator, the one who we have offended, the one who we made ourselves his enemy, he said, just fathom, try to fathom this. He said, I will oblige myself to you. I will put myself under an obligation to forgive you. And we have that recorded in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin, to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He obliged himself to us to forgive us. I think the um, he, he forgiveness of salvation for for salvation and forgiveness for restoration for the believer. We understand there's two types of forgiveness, right? There's the forgiveness that is judicial that. If any person will come repentant of their sin with faith in Christ, God has obliged himself to forgive them, to not hold their sin against them. But then we as Christians, as 1 John teaches us, our, while our standing is the standing of a forgiven person, our relationship with God is affected by the sin we allow into our lives. And so in both instances, God has said, if you will come, I will forgive. So for the unbeliever, who will not come to accept forgiveness, they are in danger of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus talked about 
He said, if you to the Pharisees who, who thought they didn't need any forgiveness of their sin, Jesus says, be careful. You can be forgiven everything except blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, Christian never has to worry about that because we've accepted Christ. But we can quench the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because either way, it's the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts to bring about forgiveness. Before we're saved, he points us to Christ for that saving forgiveness. But then through our relationship with Christ, the Holy Spirit wants to keep us close to close to him. Well, we can never offend the, the Holy Spirit to, to the point where because we're already saved. But on this side, we can quench his working in our lives. And that's a sad place for Can you imagine if David had never come to this point where he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to confess. What a tragedy the rest of his life would have been. How awful. Don't cover it up. Don't hide it. There is release in the arms of the Lord when we confess. Proverbs says that he who covers his sin will not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh it, happy is he. That's exactly what David found. So we've seen these three things so far. Restoration of joy, sufferings of secrecy, the release of that comes with confession. And now fourthly, once you notice the restoration of relationship, the restoration of relationship. Look at verse number six. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters, they shall not come nigh unto him. Verse seven, thou art what? My hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. You see, David throughout his life had grown accustomed. David throughout his life had grown accustomed to being under the watchful care of his shepherd. But he had become the wandering sheep. And the wandering sheep takes himself outside of the protective relationship of the shepherd. And actually then puts themselves in the, in the place of chastening, in the place of danger. And David says it is, it is so good to know that when I can say that I am close to God, that my relationship with God has been restored, I'm back close to him, where I enjoy his protection, where I enjoy his leading, where I enjoy his guiding. And there'll be great songs that I'll sing. David's relationship has been restored. Again, wonderful parallels. I think the, the story of the prodigal son is just a great picture of all of this. Isn't that exactly what the son did when he wandered away? And he finds himself in a place of danger. He finds himself in the pig pen. And what's he remember? He remembers his father's house and the provision that was there and the protection that's there and all that he has there. And he returns. That's what David says. He says, you know, now that, now that I've confessed, the joy is back. I no longer suffer in secrecy. I've, I've, I've been released from that. And the relationship has been restored. I was showing you the parallels to Psalm 51. If you're, if you're still with a the mark there, you see the same thing in verse number 11. Verse number 11. Well, you can go back to verse 10. 
Verse 10, David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. 11 now. Cast me not away from what? Thy presence. I want to be close to you. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Interesting, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit did not indwell believers like he does in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit would... Uh, there were several times in the Old Testament where certain individuals, the Holy Spirit would come upon them and do a mighty thing in their in their a mighty work in their lives, unique, different than other people's experience. David actually enjoyed that from the time of his anointing, the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life, and he realized that that could be removed from him. We're, we're, thankfully, that's not the condition of the New Testament believer. Although we can quench, as we mentioned earlier, we can quench the Spirit's working in our lives. And while He's always with us as the seal of our salvation, His working can be, can be really unnoticed in our lives. So, but David says, now this relationship has been restored. The Holy Spirit is with me. And you and I, we can, when we're willing to confess, we can experience the, the fullness of the Spirit. You know, it's been said that if you're a believer, and I think this is a good explanation of this biblical truth, if you're a believer, you have all of the Holy Spirit that you're ever going to get. You get that at Him at salvation. You get all of the Holy Spirit. But the choices we make can determine how much of us the Holy Spirit has and how, how great our experience walking in the Spirit is. Man, I'd encourage you right now, if there's, a, if there's something hidden in, in your life, don't even wait to the end of the, of the message. Just, just confess. Make it right with God. Get the joy back. Restore the relationship. Be at peace. And then, the last section of the psalm is the testimony of hope. The testimony of hope. He's just talked about it, the wonderful forgiveness that came through his repentance. But now, he's got a message for everybody else. He's got a testimony he wants to give. Verse 8, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eyes. Do, is there a parallel to this in Psalm 51? Do you know, maybe some of you know Psalm 51 pretty well. Is there, is there a parallel to that statement in Psalm 51? You're like, well, I'm assuming there is because, you know, this is what you're saying. Yeah, there is. He says in verse 12 of Psalm 51, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I, what's it say? Teach. Then, Lord, once I am restored, I'll tell others. Then I'll tell the other sinners. I'll tell the other sinners about you and they will be converted. I'll give this message of hope. I'll give this message of forgiveness. I'll give this message of restoration to others who are in the bondage and the chains of their sin and deceitfulness. I've got a message for others that, look, this is where I was. 
And this is how God has released me. I have a, a good friend that um, made some bad choices in his life in his 20s. And he, um, it's nobody, I'm not referring to anybody in this church, but a friend that made some bad decisions. And God brought some consequences into his life that were really difficult. Really difficult. And he accepted those consequences and he allowed God to, to, to really break his heart. And you know, he has, in the last few years since he shared his story with me, he's inspired me in my walk with God and challenged me because he's got his... his now, he would tell you he, he wishes that he never had made those mistakes. But boy, God can still use his testimony and he does use it. In a powerful, powerful way. And we need to be careful that we don't ever get the attitude, well, you know, I've, you know, I never fell, because we can easily become like the prodigal son's brother, can't we? And the church can kind of set up like first class Christians and second class Christians. Churches can have that attitude. Well, this is the person who did it right all the way through, and that's the, that's the, the, the right way to do it. I'm not diminishing that. That's the, that's the best path to blessing. But boy, we're all just sinners saved by grace, are we not? We're just, we're all broken and fallen and capable of anything. And God used the, the, the sinfulness of David and his and, and God's restorative power to really send a message to others. He says back in Psalm 32, David says, this is the testimony that I'm going to give, that there is hope. Let me tell you, I will guide you with my eye. And look at what he says in verse 9. He says, this is a great sermon, right? This would be a great sermon, verse number 9. Hey, don't be like the horse or the mule. <laughs> Blunt, to the point. Why are you so, what's the word? You know it. Why are you being so stubborn? Why are you being so self-destructive? Why are you persisting in, the, in the, the way that you're living? Don't be that way. They don't have any understanding. They've got to be led about. You got to, their mouth must be held in with a bit and a bridle lest they come near unto thee. Don't be stubborn. Verse 10, don't choose the way of sorrow. I've been there. I know what it's like. David says, I've experienced the sorrows. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked. Oh, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. You can skip all that, David says. I can spare you all that. If you listen to my testimony, I can save you all that heartache. I can save you all that trouble. And why wouldn't you just want verse number 11? Just be happy in Jesus. Just be glad in the Lord. What is the, the words to that, that the old hymn, Trust and Obey? For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. There's no, David says, I tried it. I followed the pleasures of sin and they left me broken and empty they hurt me. Be happy with what you have in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord. And rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. 
Are you living not just an obedient life, but are you living a joyfully obedient life? That's what I want to ask you at the end. Maybe you're like, well, I haven't wandered off. I haven't wandered off into sin. But are you living a life of joyful obedience? Because can I tell you, can I tell you what? One of the steps to fall is instead of living in joyful obedience, living in legalistic duty and self-righteous pride. That'll set, set us up for failure faster than anything. You can, you can live and keep all the rules and do everything, but do it in your own strength and your own power with no joy in your life. I think that's another reason a lot of young people, that one of the, one of the factors that causes young people sometimes to turn away fr- from the faith is because they look at Christian people around them who dutifully obey all the commandments, but where's the joy of the Lord? Where's the fullness of the filling and power of the Holy Spirit that says, this is, this is the life, man. This is where it's at. There's joy in serving Jesus. And David says, that's what I'm, it's back. I'm back. It's back. The joy is back. And just live your life in joyful obedience. Why? Because we are forgiven. We are the forgiven ones. And there is nothing that we can do that will separate us from the love of Christ. So, we sang those songs intentionally tonight. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. And then, God, take my life. Let it be consecrated to thee. Let it be yours. That's the path to fullness. That's the path to blessedness and happiness. Well, what I wanted to do tonight, but I ran out of time, so I'm not going to do it, is I wanted to, I usually try to tie in a, a New Testament passage that has a lot to do with this. I, we'll see if I, if I do that another week or not. I'm not sure. But if you want to study it, but my, my last little thought to connect this to a New Testament passage, and you can write this down. It was 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 6 through 11. In 2 Corinthians 7, 6 through 11, there's a path given in the New Testament for true repentance. Not just being sorry about your sin, but truly sorrowful and repentant before God as David was. So if you want a good New Testament passage to study with this, I'd give you 2 Corinthians 7, 6 through 11. And that concludes our study in the Psalms tonight. Thanks again for being with us. We'll have a word of prayer. We'll say goodbye to folks on the live stream after that. And, um, and then we'll do our prayer time here. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, your word. We thank you, Lord, for the the hope we have in Christ, both for our salvation and for, Lord, at any moment, if we've walked away from you, you're ready and willing to receive us back into that close fellowship. We thank you so much. Lord, I pray if there is anyone that's struggling with unconfessed sin, Lord, I pray that they would yield that to you tonight, that they'd make that right, that they'd tell whoever they need to tell, that, they'd, that, that they would have a clean heart before you, and that when they lay their head on their pillow tonight, they could say, oh, how happy I am to have no guile in my spirit. Help us to to live that way. We pray your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen.